It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Now yesterday, the Royal Independent Group of TDs introduced a private member's motion calling for the establishment of an independent regulator for the beef sector. West Cork Social Democrat TD Holly Kearns joins me with her views on why such a beef regulator is uh, needed. Uh, Good afternoon to you, Holly. Hi, Patricia. And you're you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Now, we all remember the protests back in 2019 and it was agreed that farmers would come off the picket line and they would meet and a beef task force would be set up. What happened since then? Yeah, um, so as well, I think for most of your listeners, they would remember this, but for a lot, they wouldn't. So just to put a broader context around those protests that started, um, you know, because I think it's good to, to acknowledge this, that this is an ongoing issue for decades. So 30 years ago, there was a beef tribunal in the early 90s that was examining serious allegations of political influence in relation to alleged abuses of the system and failure of regulatory authorities. And the conclusion of the beef tribunal was widespread improper relationships between the beef industry and the government. And it also stressed the lack of regulation. So we had situations where the dole was recalled. I think the only other time that has ever happened is during the pandemic. The dole's recalled because Larry Goodman was going into liquidation in Holland and the Irish government came back and bailed him out. And it transpired that he'd been making really sizable donations to the political parties that were in power at the time. In any case, 30 years later, do you know what has changed? So, you know, we saw the, the protests, um, length and breadth of the country. Um, the, the, the farmers on the picket lines at that time agreed to come off the picket lines um, if, you know, as a, if the beef task force would be established. Um, and so what has happened since then is basically um, members of the beef task force are expressing their frustration because there's been such little impact. This is 18 months later um, because all of the major systematic imbalances still remain. Um, so like... It was agreed when they came off the picket line and decided to form the task force that part of the discussion would be around uh, an independent um, regulator in the industry. And And an independent regulator would be set up who would establish new rules and who would have robust powers. Exactly. And so it was agreed that that would be up for the discussion. That has yet to go on the agenda in the Beef Task Force. So it's really important to note that. And what the government are proposing to do in place of an independent regulator is to introduce a food ombudsman, which is very welcome. I don't think anybody has any um, issue with a food ombudsman, very important. But what the food ombudsman does is oversees existing rules. And like those rules we know are failing. So what we want is an independent regulator that can bring in new rules and actually monitor uh, the state of play. Because, you know, it's worth noting, Patricia, that there used to be a law 
it prevented below-cost selling, which protected primary producers and small retailers. And that law was repealed in 2005 by the then Minister for Enterprise, Nico Martin. You know, like, that's the kind of thing that we need in place. We need new rules. Um, but but that is yet yet to happen. And at the moment, the system is basically designed to work for beef barons while small farms fade away and young farmers have no choice but to pursue another career. And the government still aren't addressing this. You know, And it's got to be one of the only industries where you have like many beef and suckler farmers running at a loss, like an industry where the primary producer is running at a loss. Absolutely. And like I said, it's a shame we don't have that law still in place to protect primary producers and small retailers. But I suppose like on the whole, what we've seen in Ireland is a complete transformation of agriculture in my lifetime. You know, when we hear conversations about the direction we're going in relation to agriculture, oftentimes you hear, and this is mainly driven by, you know, the Department of Agriculture and people in government saying, oh, any change to our um, agriculture policy would decimate Irish farms and all of this kind of thing. But like, you know, we never had that conversation about the change that we've undergone in the last 30 years, which has been really detrimental for the most part to the small Irish farms. So, like, just as an example, Patricia, I'm sure loads of your listeners would have experienced this, but, like, I grew up on a small dairy farm in West Cork. I was reared on the income of between 12 and 16 dairy cows, imagine. Like, that is completely unviable now. The kind of, a lot of farms would be around, you know, between 30 and 50 acres. We've run 30-acre farm. Um, and that was sustainable then. Then that became completely unsustainable because we're consistently moving towards a more industrialised model that requires you to have a much more intensively stocked farm in order to, to make a profit. So we had to move out of dairy. It just wasn't viable anymore. We went into beef. That is becoming completely unviable now and we're slowly kind of destocking the farm altogether because there really is no point in us doing it, even though it's very sad, you know, particularly for my mother who's always had livestock and feels very strongly about it. It's a, it's a really difficult thing for small farms to to experience and there's a real kind of shame then associated with it because what we have is a few different things we need to address here there's this kind of culture now in Irish agriculture more and more that it's like who has the biggest herd who has the biggest number of acres and if you're not in that bracket you're not a real farmer so then there's a real reluctance to speak out about how this policy that has been driven by our government successive governments for years now actually affects the small farmer and it really does have a negative effect and what we see is when these small farms go out of business and they oftentimes sell up, you know, sell the land, and that often goes to a, a bigger, and um, for the most part, big dairy farm. And I think it's really important that we have a good dairy sector, but just to highlight the, the kind of the way that we're heading is really distinctly intensively stocked dairy farms and the demise of the smaller farm. Um, so when we see those small farms selling up to the bigger farms, you see, you know, a, a real kind of decline in employment in that sector. So you could go from having 15 farms in the area to going to, to five. So that, you know, is really bad for rural areas, for our economies, for our culture and, and social life and everything when there's less jobs provided. And then when those small farms close down, you also see, uh, you know, a lot of the small abattoirs, I mean, what's left of them are closing down at the moment. Then you see small butchers closing down. Then you see derelict buildings in our towns and villages. Like this constant policy of driving intensification is seen as the only way forward for Irish agriculture. The arguments, you know, that we have to feed the growing population. All of these arguments are quite frankly ridiculous. Yeah, and, and it's the social fabric of, a, of an area. If the small farmer is gone, it means the little family that he would have raised on that farm uh, is n- no longer going to be there. The children aren't available to go into the schools, so the school numbers go down, they lose a teacher, they eventually close. I mean, th- it's a huge knock-on effect, not just for the family that are, are losing this tradition that has probably been in the family for many generations of farming this particular patch of land. 
absolutely has a massive impact on, on the entire community. And, you know, at, ultimately at the end of the day as well, this policy uh, that we're, we're kind of running with now for the last few decades is really driving an increase in emissions. And one of my biggest frustrations before going into politics was uh, the kind of narrative that you see politicians spinning around this. That any attempt uh, to take climate action will negatively reshape Irish agriculture, as if farming communities have nothing at stake in relation to climate change. And also consistently defending farmers in relation to uh, climate change insinuates that they've done something wrong. And I just really want to highlight to your listeners that there is, I've never met a farmer who gets up in the morning and says, today I'm going to go out now and release as many emissions as I possibly can, and then I'll go and destroy as much of the natural habitat and biodiversity as I possibly can. Like, that's not a real... It's the exact thing. opposite. It's, it's the, the exact, exact opposite. opposite, yeah. And the way we farm is so directly uh, decided by the department that it's really important to highlight that. So we have a, de- a department official comes out to our farm every year and docks us money off of our area aid payment if we have any kind of natural habitat going on in the farm. We have the new so-called environmental scheme that is disallowing payments for areas with gorse and heather, which we know are really important. But ultimately, the way we farm is directly incentivised by the Department of Agriculture. There's no two ways about it. So if you're barely making ends meet, which the majority of Irish farmers are, if you're kind of operating on a small scale, of course you're going to do what you need to do to get the payment. What we need is for the policy to change. And this constant narrative around blaming farmers is pointless and unhelpful. And I wish that especially politicians would stop joining in in that ridiculous debate because ultimately what we have at the moment is, and the, the figures won't be exactly correct in this, but just as a kind of overall look at the reality of what happens, is if you have 50 euro on the table, you, you know, about in relation to beef, maybe Larry Goodman's getting about 30 euro of that. The supermarket might be getting about 15 and then the farmer was left with about five. Yeah, you see, and I think a lot of people, do, that's just mind boggling when you put it like that, because we have this great tradition in beef and suckler farming. We produce some of the highest quality uh, products that's recognised all over the world. Yet it feels like the primary producer is just being taken for granted in all of this. Absolutely. And like you say, we do have some of the best beef in the entire world. And sadly, at the moment, a lot of it is being sold as supermarket brand in the UK. So not even as, you know, quality Irish beef or, or anything like that. And ultimately, what we're doing is very dangerous in terms of our agriculture sector, because it's hugely important for us economically, um, our exports from agriculture. And the reason that we do so well um, as an agricultural exporter is because we're recognised as having a green brand, having a really good quality um, of food produce in this country. But ultimately, we're moving away from that. And, you know, when you look at it in terms of that green brand, it's so important for our sales. You know, we're actually less green than the vast majority of countries in Europe, the way that our farming has gone. And that leaves us in a very precarious position, because if we lose that green image and that green brand, it's very hard to build that back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so almost impossible to, to get it back. So um, what's your gut instinct? Will we, will we have an independent beef regulator? You know, like I said, 30 years later, what's changed? And the reality is we still have a system that makes, you know, a small few incredibly wealthy, expensive farmers and ultimately uh, workers in meat plants, often very vulnerable ones. Um, So the system's still designed to to work for beef barons. I've yet to see any real sign from government they're going to change tack and show us that they really are in our sight this time. You know, introducing a food ombudsman is really lip service to what the, the beef task force were looking for and the people who protested. 
Um, so I can't say that I'm confident that that will happen at the moment, Patricia, but I think it's really important that we all have an awareness of this and this, this because I think sometimes we don't see the Department of Agriculture as a public service like we do, for example, the Department of Education or the Department of Health, but it absolutely is. And as consumers, even if you don't have a connection to a farm, um, as a consumer, I think we have a right to know that our food is produced in a fair and ethical way. Absolutely. And at the moment, absolutely. it absolutely is not, and it really is at the expense of farmers. Um, okay. All right, listen, it's a, it's an issue we certainly will return to. But in the meantime, Holly, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you so much. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Social Democrats, uh, Dáil Deputy for West Cork, uh, Deputy Holly Carnes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.